Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am so happy to have Dr. PMH Atwater back on the show. PMH is an international authority on near-death experiences. A survivor of three near-death episodes herself, she has completed over 38 years of research on the subject and has written 18 books, including her most recent book, The Forever Angels, Near-Death Experiences in Childhood and Their Lifelong Impact. In her quest for knowledge, she has interviewed over 5,000 people, including young children, who have had such experiences, and older adults who have lived their lives after their NDE. Her immersion in the topic has led her to the firm belief that the near-death experience is not an anomaly, but part of a consciousness transformation or brain shift. Today, we are going to be discussing her new book, like I promised in her last interview, The Forever Angels. Welcome to the program, PMH. Good to be here. And I've been doing this, by the way, for 44 years. 44 years. 44 years. Oh, my gosh. I sent you the bio because I wanted to be sure I got everything right. And um, so anyway, we'll just, we'll go with that. 44 years. Wow. That's 1978. So what's interesting about that is I'm sure in 1978, not many people were doing this kind of research. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the originals. So I'm really excited about this about this book, Forever Angels. As you know, Melvin Morse came on the show and talked about children and near death experiences, and of course, you were on the show and we talked a little a little bit about it. But I'd just like to um, read quickly about why you say that you wrote the book, and you say. I call this book The Forever Angels because it is an in-depth look at tiny ones who are a forever part of where they left. If you count both of the studies I have done with child experiencers of near-death states, total 397 angels, these two studies show that no matter how long children experiencers live, a vast majority never lose their sense of home. Uh, They don't. It's that sense of longing. Yes. You know, when I first started researching children, I was very unhappy with the fact that the other other researchers in the field weren't going deep enough. Right. They weren't going more into the after effects or how it was affecting children. And very few were in fact none of them were were uh really looking at the teeny tiny ones you know from birth to the age of five maybe they would do like three or four years old six or seven maybe eight years old um but they weren't going deep enough for me 
And so, you know, I kind of complained about that a little bit and fussed. And then I decided, well, by golly, I'm going to do my own. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I did, I did uh, my first group in the 80s. And that was really still very young. Um, my youngest in that research was kindergarten on up to maybe young adults. So obviously these are forward-looking uh, children, uh, people, you know, young adults. But the second one that I completed like about maybe four years ago by now, I wanted to go with the older people. Right. People in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and the oldest in my research was 82. But I wanted them to um, uh, be able to validate having had a near-death experience between birth and the age of five. Right. And believe it or not, they all could. <laughs> wow. uh, this one, I think she was in her, oh, gee, maybe 70s, late 60s, 70s. <clears throat> I said, you've got to validate this. She said, I can with my mom. And so I called her mom up in a nursing home. And by golly, that woman was as sharp as a tack. Wow. She can remember everything. Yeah. It's amazing what memory does. So, so I said to these older people, just tell me what it was like having had a near-death experience at such a, such a very tender age what was your life like afterward how did that affect you growing up all the way to the age you are now um and if there were any changes tell me about it so in essence i was looking for essays mm -hmm. and, and i got them and believe me some of them were even tear stained so tear stained i could hardly read them because they were coming from People who'd never been asked before, never been talked to before, you know, you know, um, that was never a subject in their life. Right. And finally, someone says, I want to know. And there, many were retired people and never, never, never having told anybody anything. One of the, this one fellow, it was almost 70 and he just retired. And, you know, never been able to tell anybody. So he sent me, I swear, about a 50, 60-page book, <laughs> including photographs with his family, <laughs> all about his life. <laughs> and it was just phenomenal. Wow. And these people were affected far more than any of us would have ever thought. And, and I want to interject here. All of us, including me, have out-of-the-mouth of babe syndrome. That's what I call it. Yes. We are so captured by the stories of little ones. Me too. I mean, everybody is. I mean, they're very young and they're innocent when they tell their stories. It's like, wow, you know, you're crying. And, but who goes back five years later? Who goes back 10 years later? Who goes back 23 years later? What is your life like now? Nobody goes back later that far and, and checks up. You know, how are things going? Mm -hmm. 
and what I'm finding with most of them is, is it's not going that well. That the, their life is is maybe okay, maybe not. But deep in their soul, deep in their heart, there is this longing. Um, there's this, there's this um, hole, like a hole in their heart. Oh, why right. am I so different? Right. You know, the, why can't I connect? Yeah. Do they? Um, do most of them actually? Well, I guess of course they they remember even at like one or zero they they because you mentioned earlier that she called her mom but they all actually remember the third of them can remember their birth right you know i used to think that you know very rare you know the occurrence of remembering your birth forget that this is 397 people about a third could remember their birth wow and i'm saying to all of our pediatricians all of the doctors and the mothers who deal with um, babies who are just born, watch guys, watch what you say, watch what you think. That little mind is keeping track of everything, and that little mind is going to remember. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. like, whoa. So I have lots of lots of suggestions in the book of course right <laughs> of course you do but you know with adults it takes about seven to ten years to integrate the experience but with children it takes 20 to 40 years ah oh, look folks wake up here children do not integrate they compensate yeah children want to do what their parents want them to do children want to be pay attention to their teacher children are involved with friends or siblings they're not looking about how their experience might be different what the people are saying um they're you know it's it's like it doesn't compute for them right right the children with NDEs what matters is uh, and and i want to get this across to everybody yeah (laughs) these children are coming in still there so stop and think they're coming in still in that light Mm -hmm. still in that world and all of a sudden they have a mother and a father oh where'd that come from they have siblings, maybe. Ooh, oh, hmm, that's interesting. Um, they're they're in this world suddenly with all the, and they want to get along. You know, they want to fit. Yeah. But but they don't. You know, most most of them know more than their parents do. Most of the siblings think that this particular one came from another planet because they don't fit the family. When they get to school, they are so bored. They are bored out of their tree because they can remember uh, and know more than the teacher does. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do? And when they're old enough to go out on dates, they know what's going to happen before it happens. So they say no and walk off. (laughs) 
and and still this idea of dating is is a very strange you know what do you do with this and and i really think this is this kind of mix-up this kind of brain difference it, it is because and and, and let, let's just go there let, let's go to the because right this kind of experience and we know that the near-death experience affects anyone in a very real impactful way some people it affects them really dramatically some people not so much but other people wow so we've got this this and they have a before they have something to contrast it with but a little bitty one if they're coming in still in that light-filled world think about it they do not have a before right so i've got 90 percent of them 397 people 90 percent do not bond with their parents before could i just interject for a second i want i want my listeners to listen very carefully to um which i know they always do but to what you're saying because Next week, we are going to have Ingrid Hukala on the show. She's a PhD marine biologist, and she has, I think, almost all, if not all, of the characteristics that PMH is talking about right now. So, so listen carefully to this. Then you're going to get a firsthand account from this brilliant woman who, who drowned, drowned at two years old. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that doesn't mean they don't love their family. That doesn't mean they don't love their parents. It, it, but it does mean that they're very clear that their parents are just, just someone there to take care of them, maybe. Um, um, their parents are, are um, somehow part of their life, but that, that doesn't mean that their parents know more. That doesn't mean that their parents are an authority figure of any kind. Um, you're going to hear this with Ingrid. Yes. So it's like, what do you mean I have to do that? I know better. <laughs> She's a little mm. two, three-year-old. What do you mean? Right, right. <laughs> She was very sassy. <laughs> no different. You see, they know different. Right. Well, I know you talk about the one little, um, I think it was a boy, I'm six-year-old from Georgia who drowned and came back and he was in the first grade. And, you know, what do they read in the first grade? You know, spot, something like that. And he came back. Yes. And he wanted, he came back and he he wanted to read Greek mythology. Oh, he already was. Right, right. He already and understood it. So they're much brighter too. There's And he went up to his teacher and said, Why was the book Robinson Crusoe ever written? I am I mean, you know, the first grade teacher, ta-da! What are you gonna do with a kid like that? Right. So so I I wanna talk about my theory because I'm not an MD. Yes. But I want to talk about my theory of why. 
because I think it's very clear and very apparent what the why is. Right. We've got near-death experiences, which we all know are very real and very compactual and hit you kind of hard. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them do. So we've got near-death experiences. I call a near-death experience a power punch. So we've got this power punch hitting children, babies, at the time when the brain is just starting to lay the, the basic circuit board of the brain. Right. The basic nerve system is forming, the digestive system, um, skin sensitivity. So um, we, we have this power punch happening at a time when I believe it's jump-starting the brain. So we've got a jump-start. So we've got these kids, almost all of them, that I found, that are smarter than the average kid. Many of them are geniuses. Not only are they psychic and intuitive, but many of them have stenesthesia. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about stenesthesia. Yes, please. Sten stenesthesia is an elaboration of the limbic system in the brain that basically means that uh, the limbic system is our sensory system. Yeah, um, our senses come from the limbic system. So uh, that limbic system is being jump-started. Let me give you an example. Um, I was born with stenesthesia. No, I'm not a near-death kid, but I was born with stenesthesia. I was the only kid in the first grade who could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. Now, I was telling the truth. Everybody thought I was lying. I was telling the truth. It, it's this kind of thing. It's like um, the, the, this this one girl. Um, she would she would in her sensory system. She had the ability to take all kinds of curves and circles, and uh, be able to jump with them and dance with them. And that's how she was able to do mathematics. Yeah, dance with she the numbers. Jump with them and play with them, and that's how she did her mathematics. Wow. Um, you know, I had a, I interviewed Dr. Um, Raymond Moody, and I had never heard of synesthesia before. Now that I've been introduced to it, I keep, I meet quite a few people, not quite a few, but a few people that have it or have a, had a child that has it. But he told the story um, of a little boy that when he saw a color, he heard a musical note. And so one day he was like three years old and they were driving in the car and there was a rainbow and he goes, mama, mama, it's a song. And it, uh, that just really touched me. I thought, wow. Amazing. Yeah, but you're right. What did, 
what does a teacher do with that? We don't being changed. Absolutely changed. And with these little kids, let me give you an, an idea of how it is changing the brain. Right. Um, and let me give you a few facts here. Significant enhancement of intellect, 68% of them. So they're coming back smarter. Um, under the age of six, 81% were testing out. Now, now, that's when they're older now. They're taking the IQ test. These kids under six, taking that IQ test when they could. 81% scored between 150 to, one, to 160. Most teachers say genius begins at about 134. Oh, my God. Some say it begins at about 140. These are 81% wow. are scoring between 150 to 160. Hold on. I'm going to give you another one. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Uh, um, th those that had the this kind of ex experience between birth and 15 months, especially if they had a black light experience instead of a white light experience, which we talked about in your last interview, all of them scored from 180 up into the 200s. Wow, folks. We have got to look at this. Yes. What the near-death experience is doing to, to the brain of little bitty kids. Yeah. We've got, got to get our neurologists and all kinds of, you know, folks um, who are medical, do some research here because this is organic. This is physical. This is happening. And I, and I really feel... Uh, that a lot of the reason for the bullying and they get a lot of bullying in school a lot of reason for that and the mix-up in the family is because they really are different because their brain is different it's yeah. formed differently it makes sense i mean so it was mapping i mean science has shown that that between zero and what is it four that that's really the major when the major things are going on in the brain i'm sorry i'm not saying that it's very scientifically but to think that then something like this would happen and your death experience like you say the power punch i think that's what you called it that it whether i don't know if i want to use the word messes up but it certainly does do something to that mapping and you're right it changes it has there been any scans or anything done on this uh, no. Interesting. No, and I'm the one that's yelling and screaming and saying, look, folks, this is a major study right. of 397 people who were able to validate their experience that it did occur, that occurred the way they said it did. So we've got to look at what happened to them afterward. Right. And maybe we could do something to make it easier for them if we know that they're that kid and that is what happens. That's their what their challenges will be. Certainly, yes. But going above and beyond that, in brain research, looking at what can happen to the human brain if it's jump-started. 
Mm-hmm. They jump started because they're jump started in education. They're ahead of the curve. Right. So they're having to undergo a learning reversal. When they get into their first grade, when most kids are, you know, C spot run, Dick and Jane, that that little boy who's, um, is reading Greek mythology and understands it. Their, their brain is different. Yes. So I think we've got to recognize this. Uh, and it causes all kinds of sociological problems and all, all kinds of problems in the family. Um, let, me, let, let me give you a little, little taste of this. Yes. Just a little taste of it. With these people, um, that is to say, people who have a near-death experience between birth and the age of five, most of them are very creative. They're very capable. They're ahead of the rest of us, mostly, mentally. They really don't know what to do with it, but there it is. And, and, and so they go, they go on. Most of them who are able to sort of battle their way through school or sort of, um, you know, sort of uh, make their way through school and the dating process and all of that. 74% do very well in life. Hear that. Everybody hear that. 74% do very well in life. Many of those become millionaires. Smart kids, you know, smart people. But that same 74% have suicide ideation. They do not like being here. They will want to leave. You can call it homesick for heaven. It, it, it's as good a term as any. I have a whole chapter in my book on PTSD versus NDEs. We got to look yeah. at this. Book. They may seem happy. They're certainly capable. But... They're still wrapped up in wanting to go back. Right. Um, let me give you a figure here. 34% were positive about having an NDE. 61% were negative. Wow. Negative. Um, they're grappling with this business of home. Guilt for wanting to go back. I mean, we shouldn't want to go back. We shouldn't want to commit suicide or anything like that. I mean, no. But betrayal, they feel betrayed for getting kicked out. So they throughout their whole lives? Many of them, yes. Wow. Um, And I'm sure that manifests in many different ways. I mean, not just thinking, because I know most of them don't take their own lives, but um, in ways that they just are more sad. Uh, go to counselors and th- they have to deal with it somehow. Now in that chapter, P- PTSDs versus NDEs, I give all kinds of suggestions, all kinds of ideas of how we can take care of this. But I want to interject here 
that for the near-death experiencer, no matter how young or how old, they look at suicide very different than you and I do. Very different. For a child, for a child, when they were not breathing, they were in this very beautiful world. Light and love, and it was a perfect world. And now that they are breathing again, that world is gone. So the average child would say, oh, I know how to get back there. I'll just stop my breathing. They do not think at all that this will punish anybody, hurt anybody, cause any kind of problem. That's not in their mind at all. I just want to get back to where they were. Right. So if we can appreciate that and understand that, we can be very helpful then. Absolutely. In um, having them deal with this kind of strange conflict. Yeah, just validating and... Yeah. Well, you know, you know, help them to realize right. that the uh, okay in in my other book, it's called. Um, I've written so many. <laughs> <laughs> the near death experience book that one with the the, the new children and <laughs> yes, yes, that was it. There is a very large resource section in the back of that book, and it tells you all kinds of exercises and things you can do and one of these things you can do simple 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 that makes all the difference in the world is visualization mm, love visualization that child realize they can go back there at any time but they mustn't stay there go back there anytime you know have fun but come back your job is here but you can go back anytime you want for comfort. That alone can make all the difference in the world. Oh. See how simple? Yes. We, we try to make things so complicated. And we're not looking at the big picture. Right. I know. And even the small picture. I know you talk also about having them um, write their book. Oh, wow. Wow, there was a woman in Holland who did this, um, and uh, Osterholm, and, and, um, and she gave me her book. Oh, I consider it a great treasure. Um, um, she was like, oh, what was she, five, six, something like that. Uh, uh, wasn't very old, maybe four or five. Had an had a, um, appendectomy or um, uh, uh, appendicitis. And, and her family didn't recognize it. High fever, great pain. And the next morning, uh, she was in so much pain that they finally got through to the doctors, ah, or to her parents, and they need to get her to a hospital. So they did. Uh, barely, barely in time. She did die, but came right back again. They were able to bring her right back. But while she was gone, uh, she was back in this world 
And she went all through this world. She drew pictures after pictures after pictures of what it was like. And do you know, when I met her, she must have been in her 50s. And I said to her, why don't you make your book? Make a book. Give it a title. Give it a cover. And just page after page after page after page do your book. Doesn't matter if anybody else ever sees it. Doesn't matter if it's ever published. Just do your book. She did. And she said to me when I met her, doing her book was almost as if having the near-death experience again and feeling loved again and knowing why she was here and why it all happened. And it 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 just answered all of her pro all of her questions. And I've had Adults and children both say the same thing. Doesn't matter. Matter if you had your experiences as an adult or if you had your experiences as a kid. If you make your book, it, it's like that releases something very, very deep inside of you. Right. Plus, it validates you. It validates your experience. Nobody, nobody, nobody can validate your experience except you. Right. Do you think that, um, so making the books and visualization, do you think that 64% would um, go down, the ones that said that it was a negative experience, if they integrated it um, through, through exercises truly, like that? I truly believe that that would help. Right. Because, you know, many of them go to psychiatrists or psychologists or therapists Right. Don't know anything about this kind of thing or know very little. So they're not helped much. So I tell people who have an idea of doing that, I said, please go to a transpersonal psychologist. Mm -hmm. Young, young, young. That transpersonal, so that they're familiar and educated in spiritual uh, states. And they know how to deal with people who have undergone some kind of deep spiritual experience. So go to a transpersonal, um, whatever. It'll make such a uh, an incredible difference. But, but you know, it's so funny. Ah, it's so funny. Um, I asked this this people this question to all these people. <laughs> <laughs> psychics than they did than they did psychologists <laughs> well it sort of makes sense because psychics or mediums you know they are very spiritual you know it's it, they, they're, they're talking they're talking the same talk um can you just um to segue just a little bit i know that you talk about in your book that adult near near-death experiencers they many times to come healers and get into the helping profession. But these young kids are, even though they do want to help the world, they're like being, they're scientists. And I know you oh, have the one oh. example of the Swedish guy. So could you talk about that for a few minutes? Most of the younger ones who grow up with a near-death experience want to know 
what makes things tick. They don't know what being a human being is. They don't know what the earth plane is. So they don't have a before. Don't right. They don't have a before. So they come in very curious. You know, what makes the light bulb turn on? You know, what, what happens to that fish and, and, the, and the fish skeleton? They want to know. And, and so many of them get involved in science. They get in, 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 involved with some kind of study where they can find out what's going on with the world. Right. Um, it, it, there's a whole chapter, you know, in the book, historical cases. You can go back and really study um, many of our great scientists, among them Einstein, and go back to when he almost died as a little kid and started talking afterward and being very curious about a compass and everything afterward. You can go back with Winston Churchill, same thing, wants to know more about the world and other people and how do you do this, how do you do that afterward. Abraham Lincoln. You can go back again and again through these people's lives. And so many of them had a near-death experience between birth and the age of five. Wow, I did not know that. Well, you know, it's so interesting because I love it when you say, look at the facts. And that's what's so great about your research. It's factual. You know, so many people just grab onto things or, or talk about things that they haven't really dug into the research. And that's you know, that's, that's what you've done. Um, even you're talking about transpersonal psychology. That's um, Jungian. I think that's how you pronounce it. Young, yeah, Jungian. Yes. He had a near-death experience also. Yeah. And now he does, you know, spiritual work in, in his um, sort of psychology. Or not sort of, in his... You're going to love this one. Mary Anning. He lived from 1799 through 1847. She had an, um, an NDE after lightning struck her at the age of 15 months. Sickly before, but then blossomed after the lightning strike. She excelled in geology, paleontology, and fossil collecting. Her discoveries placed her on the list of 10 British women who have most influenced science today. And uh, you were thinking, oh, black elk. You yes. know, I mean, a bunch of them. It's just, it, it gets so exciting. I get so excited when yeah, they. Yeah, it is. It's so exciting. And it's, as you always say, I want to shout to the world. You know, this, and, and like you said, science or someone needs to just do more research on this we owe it to these children now adults we we owe it to the world we need to stop 
with all of the to-do and all of the media hype and all that we have learned about near-death experiences, incredible people, incredible stories. We need to stop and take another look. We're learning a lot, certainly from teenager and adult experiences. But we can also learn even more from the children. Mm-hmm. If we would just stop and look at their, the work. Nobody else on this planet has done it. We need to stop and look because the children's cases really invite us to rethink what we think we know about the near-death experience. These kids are coming in, not, you know, no before. So they're bringing that light in with them. They're bringing that knowledge in with them. They're bringing that openness with them. Adults are are learning that and being introduced to that after their experience, but the little ones are bringing it in. So, so it's the reverse after effects in a way. Yeah. Certainly, the reverse in how um, they respond to the after effects, because the little bitty kids already know it. The adults are just learning it. Or remembering it. Or remembering it. Mm-hmm. And the little bitty kids are, you know, it's like, what do we do with all of this? Um, we just try to get everyone to fit fit into the box, and it just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And, and w- w- with my cases, um, I ran into a complaint I never considered before and the complaint is this from from experiencers they say none of you researchers out there none of none of the books none of the researchers are looking at the poor people we people who who, um have no money are living on the street um you don't look at us I did. I went after the poor. And I got some of them. One lady had to save up her money just to buy stamps for her essay when she mailed it to me. Just, I mean, it just, yeah, it does something to your heart. It's just like, um, And nobody is taking that broader look, or very few are. So PMH, I know you've been involved with the amazing organization, the International um, Near-Death Studies, um, for many years. So can you tell us a little bit about your involvement and your experience with that that organization? Well, I came in, I think, about a month after they started. Yes. Yes. So that's when I began, um, that's the early 30, uh, early um, 1980s. Uh, I think they began in 82, 81, 82. 
and, uh, and I was right there with them. And um, uh, yeah, those are the early days and they were uh, sort of rife with excitement. And, and, yeah. Um, yeah, we were all starting together, although I had begun um, back in back in 1978, and I was the only one there who had the data on the physiological and psychological after effects of near death states and all about near death states that no one else had. Oh. That's why that's why Kenneth Ring invited invited me to come aboard. Yes, and, and to join with everybody else. It's because I was ahead of everybody else. Right. I did my own research myself, not knowing anything about Raymond Moody or any, anybody else, uh-huh. because I was told in my third near-death experience to do this research. And so that is exactly what I was doing. Yes. I, you know, so it was Kenneth Ring who, who discovered me <laughs> uh-huh. in a Hartford, Connecticut bookstore when he saw this strange little bitty book called I Died Three Times in 1977. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> he dragged me down by telephone and, and came to visit and stayed overnight. And in the morning, he said, you have got to come up to Stores, Connecticut and meet everybody else because you're ahead of everybody else. And we've got to talk to you. Yes. So wow. <laughs> that's that's how it all began. So um, tell us a little bit about how you feel about ions, your your work with them, and I know it's just such a beautiful, loving community. Well, I think it's an essential community, essential. Um, and I'm talking here global. Yes, I'm talking every country in the world, because all of them have near death experiences but not all of them have recognized the phenomenon. And those that have, they need the data. They need to know about it. They need to know the science. They need to know the research, but they also need to know, need to know about uh, um, what their people can do about it. So IANS therefore has all kinds of platforms where people can talk to each other, right. we have friends of IN's groups, where we can have all kinds of access to information, get-togethers, um, all kinds of opportunities. For instance, the Big Book of Near-Death Experiences, that's the only encyclopedia globally of the near-death experience in all its many forms, positive, negative, children, adults, suicides, you name it, it's all in that book. And um, it's it's available now through IANS, both as an e-book now and a soft cover. Wonderful. uh, It it comes out, in all of its many forms this August, about the time of the conference. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very, very pleased about that. Yes, I wrote it, but I gave my copyright to IANS. Therefore, uh. all the money that book makes goes to IANS to help them continue their program of outreach and information globally. 
Right. Wow. Wow. That, that is beautiful. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that because it's going to change so many people's lives and just bring forth even more science and, and research. So um, the, you, you spoke of the online conference that's coming up, and I would like to announce that um, to the listeners. So IANS will be hosting their 2020 live online virtual conference, August 14th through the 16th. And this year's theme is Unlocking the Healing Wisdom of near-death experiences. And some of the keynote speakers will be Anita Murjani, Dr. Mary Neal, Reverend Howard Storm, and Suzanne Giesman, and PMH. You will be speaking on day two, which will be August 15th from 10 to 11. So can you just tell us briefly what you're going to be talking about? Well, it's about Walter Russell. He's Mm. he's no longer living. he goes back several generations. Right. But his cave is the most unusual and the most dramatic in the world that I've ever heard of. He had a near-death experience every seven years throughout his life until he was about, what, 39 or 40, when he had what is called his grand illumination. I have never seen anyone um even even get close to what this man saw what was revealed to him what he did in the way of science in the way of inventions in the way of art and he did it all i mean he took what he was given and uh wrote um uh, incredible things about science and chemistry. I mean, this is this is a guy who didn't know anything. Wow! <laughs> wow! And 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 just got it all from his illumination. But all of the stair steps along the way, every seven years until he got the big one. Um, and the big one lasted. Uh, what was it? Thirty-three days, something like that. Right. A long time, um, and, and you know, <laughs> attend my talk. <laughs> yes, I can't wait to hear about it. About this incredible man, and I truly feel that he had also a birth near death experience. But back in those days, nobody kept track of anything like that. Right. We don't know anything about his mother's pregnancy, uh, but but we do know that while still a babe, let's see, was maybe a year and a half old, he suddenly started playing musical instruments like a pro. Wow. I, I know he had a near-death experience at birth. He must. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how, well, I cannot wait for that because I have not heard his story. So, so I would like my um, listeners to... You can find out all about um, IONS and the conference by going to their website and register today. And you need to vid- or you should visit virtualconference.ions. That's I A N D S dot 
www.ghostdoctor.org. And if you register before July 15th, it's only $99 for, oh my gosh, there, there are so many talks and you have them for three months pre-recorded so you can listen to them you know whenever you want to in your pjs or your hiking or whatever you would like so so excited about that and thank you so much for sharing pmh bear in mind this is going global yes or you had to buy plane tickets and hotel tickets now you do it anywhere right right a wave of the future. As much as I love the energy of the conference, um, it will it will go global. So I'm really excited. Well, PMH, we need to. I'm sorry, but we need to um, wrap it up. I'm so, so sorry, but thank you once again for just just a great interview. It's always so great to see you. And um, I'm sure I'll, we'll see you on the show again because there's a lot more to talk about. Don't forget my newsletter. Don't forget. Yeah, yes, please tell us. Share with us once again how people can find uh, you. www.pmhatwater.com. Get in my website. Um, sign up for But it's only for the curious. Yes. If you're not curious, you won't like my newsletter. <laughs> And you'll love it. You'll love it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. And, and you have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.